Hi, my name is Jamie, and welcome to the One World Your Story Project. We share stories from people all over the world and from all different walks of life. Because here's the thing, no matter where you are on this wild planet, and no matter what journey you have already been on, we all have our own unique story, which brings our own unique perspectives to the table. And you never know who you might inspire or completely transform simply by getting real and sharing your story. And right now, while the whole world is dealing with COVID-19, there are 7 billion people all venturing through on their own unique path. So drop in with us to hear some of these stories. And on that note, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of The Corona Diaries. So today is Friday, August 21st, 2020. And I'm here with Michelle Goodman. I would love for you to go ahead and introduce yourself, because really all I know about you is that you work as a nurse, I believe, in the ER, um, in some hospital. No, in the ER. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know that. Uh, you're a nurse um, in New York. Is really all I know about you. We were introduced through my business partner, who I think was introduced to you through his girlfriend, um, something along those lines. So. <laughs> Let's hear an introduction from you, Michelle. Um, name, where are you in the world? Um, geographically and physically, where are you right now? And how old are you? And what do you do? So my name is Michelle Goodman. I am a registered nurse in New York City. Um, currently, I work in a post-anesthesia care unit, which is also known as a recovery room. Um, so pretty much patients from the operating room, they'll roll out into our unit, wake up from anesthesia with us. We have all that fun times together in the beginning. Um, we recover them. They either go home or they go to their respective unit where, where they'll stay overnight. Um, before that, I was working in cardiothoracic surgery. Um, so that pretty much means like any heart surgery, any lung surgery, um, anything from a heart transplant to a valve replacement to a lung cancer, tumor removal, that kind of thing. So that was more of like my background in nursing. Um, I am born and raised in New York City. I am lucky enough to physically be in Fire Island right now where I have a home my whole life and I, I consider it my home more than anywhere else and it's where I feel my best self. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, How you know, old are you, Michelle? sorry, how old are you? Oh, I am 28. I'll be 29 in seven days. Oh, 29 feeling fine. So are you still a Leo at that point? I'm a Virgo. You're a Virgo. Okay. All I know that that means is that apparently I'm very stubborn and I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> apparently, or are you? I don't know. I definitely have those those times that I work on. <laughs> okay, so you said sorry. I know your your birthday is in seven days. You're turning twenty eight, or you're turning twenty seven. Turning twenty nine. Turning twenty nine. Feeling fine. Yeah. Okay, you are twenty eight, and in seven days you will be twenty nine. Cool. Happy early birthday. So it's Thank next you. Friday then, or next. It Saturday. is. Okay. Wow. How exciting. Um, 
And here in Fire Island, one of my favorite places as well. My family. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We sold our house there. I say we. It was not our decision. Um, oh, that's a whole no. other story. But it was literally on the beach, going to Cherry Grove, walking oh. through the pond. Like, all of it is my favorite thing ever. Oh, there's no know. cars there. It's like, uh, it's its own little world. What a cool like, spot you know. to be on right now. Yeah. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, when you know, you know. Okay, cool. So how long are you just there like for the weekend? Are you there for your birthday? What's going on? I have, I come out here. I usually, I, I work my shifts three or four in a row and cluster that and then I'll have like five days off. Um, so I'm back and forth from here almost every week, but right now I'm on vacation. So I'm off till the 31st. Um, I'm starting to relax. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have to decompress a lot, which we'll get into. Okay, that's why you have a bathing suit on too. It makes sense. That is why. Yeah. Okay. Ah, oh, the ocean. The ocean. I've been going to the lake, but it, it, here in Colorado, but it's not the same. It's not the same. Salt. Um, <laughs> okay. So got a good feel for you. Um, 28 years old, going back and forth between Fire Island. I mean, basically Long Island, but better. Um, and the city and you're born and raised in the city, which is going to be an interesting perspective because I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong for assuming this, there's this sense of pride that you just, you can't help but have if you're born and raised in New Yorker, right? It's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> and it's been an interesting time for New York this year. So let's go back in time. When was the first time you remember hearing about the coronavirus? Uh, so I, I mean, January, end of January, when we were all told that there was something brewing in China and it would never make it here. And then February came and we see that it's spreading, you know, to Italy and elsewhere. And I think a lot of us were just kind of like in, in denial, like, because that's what we were told by the media also like it's not gonna say who told you it's not gonna come here was it the hospitals you were working at the doctors was it the media like I think there were the the most frustrating thing about everything was the lack of communication from the hospital to staff about planning like you know what will we do are you hiring more people like are you even thinking about this as a real threat and it was just so, so tense leading up to the ultimate, you know, influx of emergency room patients coming in and then flooding into the hospital. So I just remember so vividly, well, I, I got a tattoo on like March 10th or something ridiculous right before everything shut down. <laughs> and I, I think I did that number one, because I was in denial, like, oh, it's going to be fine. You know, everyone was in masks and everything. But I think I also was like, I will not be able to do this for a very long time. And I already have this appointment, I'm going to do it. So I think I kind of knew this was serious. But I also, it's like, I'm going to keep doing things that I need to do and pretend like everything's okay. <laughs> I mean, you and the rest of America, pretty much. Yeah. I think. yeah. That timing is very interesting, though, because March 10th, 
things were getting serious in New York already. And I know that because March 17th, a week later, was St. Patty's Day. Oh, and yeah. That was basically when things shut down in Denver. And things were already serious in New York at that point. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you got the tattoo probably when it was like, hey, New York's the center of it all. I mean, you were working at that time, right? Yeah, I was. Um, Did you, were things, do you remember in the beginning of March? Like, was it getting serious in the hospital? It absolutely was. And there's this, so during that time I was working in the pre-operative section of the peri-op services department that I'm in. Um, And little by little we start to see, you know, the surgeries being canceled, elective surgeries being canceled, something being postponed for a week, you know, just to see if things would die down and just little changes happening. The OR schedule started getting smaller and smaller. Um, Staff took all of the masks from our supply closet and then all of the managers in the hospital had to be the ones that had them and like safeguarding them because everyone was taking them to, you know, protect themselves or their families. Um, so there were things, and then we, I just remember so vividly all of the nurses sitting in our, my unit. There are hardly any patients coming in anymore. And we're all just on our phones reading the news in silence and not even sure of like what to say. We weren't getting any direction from leadership about, you know, should we be wearing masks all the time right now? We were told that we didn't need to. Then, you know, the protocol changed after that at least like six different times about what we should be doing to protect ourselves. But it felt like there was just no direction the uncertainty of everything was probably the worst part in the beginning. Um, And we have this tool on the computer where you can see pretty much it's a bed planning tool. So you can see every unit in the hospital and how full the unit is. And if the patient is on any kind of precaution, like droplet precaution, contact precaution for whatever bacteria or illness they have, that is highlighted in red. So we were sitting there doing nothing because the elective surgery started to stop and watching on the computer, the hospital just turned red. And then one day some department came and on our unit, took all of our bedside monitors and brought them up to different units. And we knew that, you know, what are we going to, we can't be taking care of patients without monitoring equipment. So we knew we were going to be the first people to be redeployed um, throughout the hospital because there, you know, there our surgeries were being canceled. So it was like, we were just waiting for the news. And that was really, it was terrifying because no one knew what was going on. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm just sitting here like, <laughs> what would I do? I mean, I have chills. So yeah. I mean, it's insane to hear that you're like, oh, I feel like I have to sneeze, but you're like on the front line, right? Yet you're sitting there in silence reading the news, just like me at home. Because you have yeah. no, I mean, what the fuck is that? 
but the news that we were reading, you know, there's that, but then there's also like one floor up is filled now and we're watching the next floor be filled and we're just waiting for our fate to be told to us about where we're going to be sent. Well, did that happen? Did you get reassigned? Like what happened? And yeah. What- so, so because, you know, we didn't have surgeries anymore, um, except for of course, emergent emergency surgeries. Um, Cause anesthesia, I mean, you're getting put under, uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, sure. There's people that are getting put under that come into the ER. Yeah. But nobody's okay. like, yeah, elective surgeries that maybe could wait a little bit. Yeah. Like if you that, don't need your gallbladder. To the, to the, today? No, no. We're back up and running. All uh, right. We'll get there. Let's, let's go back. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Uh, that's okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we were okay, at the wait, first. Wait, wait, wait. It's like fully back up. March 10th, you get your tattoo. What's the tattoo? It might, be, it might be the 14th. I think I got it. Um, it's this oh, it's beautiful hyacinth flower. Beautiful. Um, yeah, it was my mom's favorite flower. She passed away April of 2019 and I wanted to be able to have something that reminded me of her. And Michelle, your mom <laughs> passed away April of 2019 and then we do this like basically April 2020. Yeah. God damn. That's all I'm sending you so much love. <laughs> so much love. Do you have siblings? Is your dad around? Were they married? Yeah, they're married happily for like 33 years. Um, my brother lives in Denver. Oh, he, cool. Yeah, he's two years older than me. Um, he's been there since his master's program, but yeah, there's a whole, you know, another layer I think in my experience of this entire pandemic and being there watching people struggle to breathe that like is a little bit doubled in the grief of it all because I watched my mom she had breast cancer and it ended up after nine years of fighting and you know changing her whole lifestyle and just being the most incredible person ever mm-hmm. uh, it ended up spreading to her lungs her yeah. I knew you were gonna say that Oh. Yeah, I know. It's all so messed oh. up. I know. So You're I, in you know, like, towards, towards the end, I was, you know, we were able to keep her home, but she was on oxygen device at home. And I was, why you became a nurse? She, she is a lot of the reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, having that be the reason, like the thing that took her out, you know, and seeing her struggle to breathe. And then a year later, all my patients struggling to breathe. It's like a really terrified look people have in their eyes when you can't breathe. It's like the worst. It's like you're drowning in yourself, you know? So that's my other layer of the fun of all of this. <laughs> hey, thank you for being so brave and vulnerable and sharing that with me. And, and yeah. Me. Yeah. I mean, you are a warrior for sure. <sighs> try and try it something that takes something oh i'm sending you so much love oh my gosh okay well we had to go but there right like that's a part of this all it's for me it's like completely you know and it made me so thankful because you know you know what we we're a little to backtrack a little so half of my unit was sent to 
we pretty much were given a deal. Half of the unit would be redeployed, like somehow now we're in the military and that's just the language we use now for nursing. Really? Yeah. That was never used before and all of a sudden, whoa, weird. Never. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so being, on the front lines, all of it. The whole thing. And it's all just a marketing thing to make us feel like we're heroes, but also we're like, are you giving us the right gear? Are you even being honest with us about what we need to protect ourselves? So a lot of, a lot of it felt like it was like, a, we're going to call you heroes and, you know, make you try to make you feel like you're doing something for the nation. But, you know, I am also still just like getting paid a nurse's salary and going to work doing, you know, but am I being protected? So yeah, all that on top of it. But we half the unit was sent to um, be redeployed to units all throughout the hospital. So it was really hard because, you know, you work with a group of people that are like your work family and you know them and you trust them and you rely on them and you ask them for help and you help them when you need an extra hand and doing whatever with the patient. And then you're sent to a new unit with new management you've never worked with, with people you don't know. Um, so, I mean, we all had to be so flexible and, and, and open and like outgoing and, you know, just meeting people and making sure that like, you know, you introduce yourself to everyone, just like the basic stuff to be able to work as a team, because being a nurse, you can't do the job alone. Like anything just from, from turning a patient, you know, helping someone walk to the bathroom, like I'm five, two, like I'm, and some of there's huge people around. So you know, it's, it's that layer of like, of nerves, just meeting a whole new group of people and, um, gaining their trust. And, um, that was difficult, um, in the beginning and throughout the entire thing and new doctors, you have, you have to question everyone's order because you don't know who this nurse practitioner or this doctor is who some of them came from non-hospital jobs to, thankfully help but they haven't treated patients in this capacity in maybe 20 years like and then you it's it's just oh, there was a lot there's a lot excuse um, me on language but it sounds like a clusterfuck and it's a major clusterfuck people are like massively suffering and need help like holy yeah. shit yeah um and i ended up going to five different units um which was it it was tough because you would find out you know two days beforehand that just as you start to get comfortable with a new group of people meet people work with people then okay that unit no not no longer needs you in this capacity or we just hired travel nurses who were paying a lot more money so they're going to be the ones taking your place you need to go to this other unit that is more short staffed or that kind of thing. Um, so the, the constant movement and I just like uncertainty of every single day, what the next day would bring or what where physically in the hospital you would be was really tough as well. Not even to mention like the patient care. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, oh my God, for what were the five units? What were you doing? I mean, what was the biggest thing you said you would say that you needed 
to be doing at that time? Were you doing the same thing on all the units? Were they all turning into COVID units? How big was the hospital? Like, give me some context here. Yeah, it's tough to to give context. So it's it's such a big... So the units usually are, let's say, 34 beds. Um, I exclusively worked with COVID patients the entire time. There, there were no units at the height of everything that were not COVID units anymore. I mean, there might be a couple patients on each unit that tested negative for COVID-19, but showed a lot of the symptoms and we still treated them as if they had it or, you know, or we were ruling them out. They're, they're called PUI patients, patient under investigation for COVID-19, waiting for the results to come back, which initially they were taking like two days to come back. So pretty much everyone we were treating as a COVID patient who came in with the shortness of breath symptoms, you know, the GI symptoms, you know, the wide range of symptoms you could have. But so there's a new hospital building with 15 floors, each with 34 beds. Um, I don't know what that map is. <laughs> and then the at least quote, um, 340, it's like 500 ish. Yeah. Say. And then that's just in the new building alone. Was um, built specifically for COVID? No, no. Um, okay. I'm thankful that it was built because they're all private rooms and they installed a great, you know, air filtration system within the hospital that I think ultimately was might have was what might have saved the staff a lot from getting infected because they're negative pressure rooms. So we would test every day that with this little smoke machine thing, you hold it up to the edge of the door to make sure that the smoke was traveling into the room instead of coming out of the room. That way, any of the particles from within the room would not be coming out into the nurse's station or the hallways. Oh, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, so that, you know, we filled pretty much the, the new hospital first with the COVID positive patients because of that infrastructure that, we had. Wow. And that was a very, that's a very, you know, privileged thing for a hospital to Hell have yeah. a building. This is not like most of, you know, any of the community hospitals throughout New York or the country or it's not, they don't have that. So in the old hospital building, they installed HEPA filters to in effect do that same job of making it negative pressure rooms to take all those air particles and put them out into the, through the window. <laughs> um, so then that hospital started being filled up and I was, we ended up opening, I think two or three 20 bed units um, that are not normally open at all. And that was the craziest part of everything for me because I showed up to work on this new unit that had no supplies, no linens, no respiratory equipment, no IV supplies, no, just literally nothing, no like oxygen monitoring supplies. And we were, they, we were just like, okay, uh, 
we can't take patients right now. I guess we need to start running around the hospital and taking supplies from other units that have some extra. So that first day we like built a unit <laughs> with, with supplies that, you know, I mean like for anything from like- We literally like water. No, like that's what it's like in wars. Yeah. They're like, oh, just make holy yeah. that, that really like was happening. What we hear about, like yeah, that that was very real. And the other really real part of being on that new unit was as soon as like in the system, we were told that, or we were like live in the system where bed management could assign patients to us the emergency room just started sending patients to us and we were not ready with any supplies to receive anyone. So we had these pe pe people in the hallway, they're struggling to breathe and we didn't have any equipment to monitor them. We didn't have a bed to put them in. So we had to like send them back down to the emergency room or, you know, quickly go run and steal from another unit. It was just so hectic, so crazy. And, you know, finally we were able to like get the supplies we needed after a, a lot of teamwork with people, of course, none of us know each other. We're all just like, what is going on? We now are a team and we need to figure this out. Doctors who, you know, a student health doctor who has not worked in a hospital for 20 years, writing orders for these patients, I was teaching doctors how to put orders into our system, um, telling them like what medications, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff that are, is not traditionally in the scope of, of uh, practice that everyone had to expand and just go with it because there was no other option. Yeah. Holy shit. And then I, I was. Go ahead. Yeah. I was somehow made charge nurse of this unit, um, which meant that I was kind of like the resource person I for everyone, for, you know, all the nurses. If they didn't know how to do something, I would teach them how to do it. And, you know, I had only been a nurse for three years at this point, and now it's three and a half years. But it's not like I'm like, that senior of a person. I mean, I, I do have a lot of great experience working with a lot of different patient populations, but you know, I, I had never been charge nurse before either. So I was teaching myself how to do a job while teaching other people how to do their jobs. And it was a cluster book. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, obviously you're awesome because it takes something to get asked to do that. But, I don't know. <laughs> wow. You know, it's crazy because the whole time sitting at home, you're like, I know that, that doctors and nurses are dealing with a lot of stuff and, and you know it, but you don't really know it until you hear it. At the same yeah. time, you're not mentioning, and I, we don't have to go into the details because I think it goes without saying, but not only are you dealing with just the stress of figuring it all out, you got to see all these people sick and losing their lives and not knowing what's really going on or how to help them or is there a I mean holy moly um were you working yeah. extended hours by the way or was it normal time like how did that work um I 
only did overtime, I think, two times. I stayed late a, a bunch of times, but I only did like a an overtime shift two times because the hospital hired so many travel nurses that um, were oh, a great help. You had the help. Yeah. You had the help. You didn't necessarily have the equipment or space. And they didn't want people working overtime because... I want to pay them. You have to pay them. Well, they're already paying these travel nurses like crazy sums of money, like incredible amounts of crisis pay money. Um, so they weren't going to, you know, then also pay us to stay over. Right. Dang. Um, and then they also didn't want us to burn out, which like kind of impossible, but. <laughs> well, um, if. There's one thing that you think that the public should know that maybe we wouldn't unless we were working there, either about the virus itself, about symptoms, treatment, seriousness, I mean, or anything. What's it like in the hospital? I don't know. What, what should we know? What, what would you want to tell people, if anything? That's oh, hard. I mean, there could be a couple things, too. And I know that's a hard question. Yeah, I I think I think number one, I want to highlight how incredible nurses are in general. Yes. And yes, yes, yes. We on a regular basis go through the most insane shit that we don't talk about with people, you know, patient privacy and because we know no one's gonna get it. Um but Nurses are just so resourceful, resilient. Like you, you know, there's, there's a reason that we're able to calm and care for people, no matter how much, how mean they are. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff at work that like we still do our job so well, despite not being appreciated and often not being treated well by our patients. Um, there's a lot of abuse, physical and emotional all the time. Um, harassment, you know, we still, no matter what, we're taking care of these people who, because it's our job to, and because we want to, even if we're not being appreciated for it. And I just, the people that I work with are so incredible you learn something new every day from them. And I just want to highlight how, how great nurses are. Absolutely. It couldn't be said enough. Yeah. And I mean, of course there's so, so many other hospital staff, just the building services, people who were cleaning the rooms and like after COVID patients would leave, like they're heroes too. Like I, I don't want to clean up, a lot of the stuff left behind after a, a patient passes away in a, in a room. And, you know, there's, there's so, so much work that goes on behind the scenes um, with all the ancillary staff in a hospital. I want to highlight them because they're just incredible. Um, mm. You know, and all the people who volunteered, I, I just hats off to everyone because I don't know if I would have, left my job to volunteer and come do what we had to do. Um, 
besides that necessary shout out (laughs) really necessary (laughs) um you know it's very it's it's it was it was like horrendous to watch people suffer alone for months without their family at their side and to feel like you we couldn't help them that that was like the most heart-wrenching thing is during everything you know medical professionals love answers they love citing research and science and reasons we're giving you this medication over a different one or reasons we're doing this type of respiratory therapy or turning you on your stomach to try to inflate your lungs or just we like evidence and throughout this whole thing we had to step back and get back into our humility of not knowing why we're doing some things we were doing like why am i giving you this medication and patients asking like when is the symptom going to stop at is this is does this new symptom mean i'm going in the wrong direction um you know not having like any answers for people was really horrible um and you know like I was, um, you know, so that I could get out of the room faster to protect myself. Those moments, like, because we want to be there helping, but those moments were really hard that you also have to protect yourself and draw some kind of line because otherwise you're going to get it and then you won't be able to work and, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I guess that's not really answering your question that much, but um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, that was great. I mean, there were, there were things that you shared. I think that everything that you shared, I, I guess I'm sitting here thinking that maybe there is something that we don't know, but maybe we do know. I mean, I think that the shout outs that you gave are super important. And to people, I think, think of the doctors and nurses probably don't give them the recognition that that y'all deserve, but people don't think about the hospital staff. That's for sure. In the same kind of way. And oh my God, talk about necessary. What's the word? Uh, Not crucial. Oh my God. What's the word for the workers that essential essential (laughs) workers that by the way, get paid jack shit. I mean, you're talking about the travel nurses getting paid more than you think about how much more y'all get paid versus the people that clean up the people who died in the rooms. Are they exactly. health insurance? I don't know. Like, are they hourly? You know, there's all those things to think about, which if, I mean, there are many good things that I think actually have come out of all of this. One of them being that people are actually aware of those jobs and, and the shit pay and all of that kind of stuff and how essential somebody that checks out your food at the grocery store is, right? Like, yeah we have the perspective shift now that we maybe would have never gotten otherwise. I guess really where I was going with that question though is more about the actual virus itself from okay. that aren't seeing it, right? Because if I haven't been with someone who's sick, I haven't been sick myself, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse, I'm hearing in the news, reading these stories, yada, yada, yada. Well, what is it actually like? And by the way, it's August now and it's towards the end of August. So we're what? March, March to April, April to May, May to June, June to July, July to August, five solid, solid five months in, about to go on to the sixth month. Is it the same? Is it different? 
Should we worry more, worry less? What's your perspective from being in the hospitals in the medical industry? I, I mean, I, I want to be careful because I'm not a public health expert in any capacity and I can only speak from my experience, but um, number one, masks work or I would have gotten it. I was in COVID-19 patients' faces cleaning their sputum for <laughs> like three months and I didn't get it and neither did a lot of the staff because of our PPE. Um, so masks work and I want to... Um, no, no, you, we heard masks work, the PPE. Oh, masks work, yeah. I think, you know, of course, I, I, I'm just gonna echo what I feel like people already should know that being outside is the best thing. There's, I don't know that there's been any published case of or confirmed case of COVID-19 being transmitted um, from one person to the next, as long as they were outside six feet apart with masks on. Like, I don't think it, that's happened once. So that's the safest possible thing. Of course, when the colder months are coming and people are going to be inside more, um, and I can't help but think about all the college campuses and these college students who are, going to these campuses, even, you know, even kids that are doing online classes, they're still moving into some of the dorms sometimes or some of the off-campus housing. They're told to quarantine there. Obviously, kids party, like we, we know that. And then what happens when the outbreak happens? Are they supposed to stay there? Or are they going to go home to their families? I just don't know how, I feel like college campuses are like the worst possible thing right now because I don't I just don't know how like what will happen if if classes are canceled where do the kids go do they go back not to their family it's not if it's happening it already happened at Notre yeah. Dame it already happened at Michigan NYU is suffering to even give their students food which is yeah. I mean that's crazy but we're going down another rabbit hole yeah I just I guess I I can't I can't speak to what's going to happen. I'm in the same boat as everyone else of, you know, day by day living right now with, you know, I don't know if what yeah, my job is going to be like. How are you doing mentally? What's, what's going on with you? We've talked about what you've been doing, but you personally, like, sorry to interrupt, but let's switch, <laughs> let's switch to that because you're right. like, we know that we can read that stuff. It's not, you're not, yeah. you know, CDC or whatever. How are yeah. you? You've been doing this for five months on the front line. Where are you at today? I mean, you're on vacation, but like, you <laughs> relax. Talk to me about what it's been like for you mental health wise. Yeah, well, I, so I'm no longer taking care of COVID patients um, and neither are the people on my unit. So I think returning back to, you know, our usual job um, and, having sort of a month to reset all of the trauma hits afterwards um during everything you're just in such a or i i'm gonna speak for myself only i was in such a just go 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 survive mentality and when you're in that state you know of you know i i was 
driving to work, crying home, crying on my way home from work. I don't even know how many times, but so, you know, you're trying to process what you've seen that day, but you're not really able to do it in the moment until you have some distance from an experience and some way to look back and be like, holy shit, I just I, I was in the middle of a global pandemic and watched countless people die alone and I'm just still going to work and going about my life. And, you know, I, I think once we all returned to our units and had some time to reflect, that's when it really hit of just like, we're not really okay right now. <laughs> like, you know, I, I still think about a handful or more of patients that I don't, I don't know what happened to them because I left my shift to go home and hand it off to another nurse, you know, for the night shift. And like it was one woman who was pregnant with an active COVID-19 infection and had to emergently go to the operating room for a C-section because she had to be intubated. I don't know if she's okay or if her, her kid's okay. Like there, there's a, a lot of that because if I were to go to work the next day and look it up, it's almost like I, do I want to know how bad it was, it was just a lot of, a lot of that. So, Dang. um, and just a, a lot of, a lot of suffering and it just doesn't hit you till later on, I guess. So, you know, we talk about it at work, but we're also very busy at work and you know, we're not really sitting down and doing powwows about our trauma necessarily. Who do you, who do you talk to about it? How do you deal with it? I have a therapist I see every week and I love her. <laughs> good, good, good. I think everyone should have a therapist. It's very necessary. But I, I had a therapist. I've had a therapist since I was a teenager and I've struggled with depression and anxiety, been on antidepressants before, um, you know, had, I had a suicide attempt in high school. So I think I am very, I like to be open about my experience with mental health, especially, you know, having someone to talk to that is non-judgmental and, um, kind of outside of your world that you can bounce ideas off of. And I think, you know, my hospital did provide focus groups and mental health resources to staff, but I honestly, I don't know how many people really use it. Um, I think when it's provided by your employer, it doesn't feel as anonymous in some way. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, every day, you know, is a new day to kind of refresh and try to process everything. But you still have to keep doing your job. And a lot of the stuff that we were doing during the height of the pandemic is what we do on a daily basis. Um, yeah, sure. But it's like truck yeah. quadrupled dippled doubled i don't even know how you explain it i mean nobody could prepare you for what those three months or however that chunk of time that it was like whoa new york is the epicenter how can how can you yeah. prep for that and 
by the way, like, I just have to keep saying, like, thank you for just sharing <laughs> so authentically. Like, thank you, really. Um, I, I know that there are people going to listen to this and so brave and if she can do it I can do it and thank you thank you Michelle um, and you gave a shout out to the nurses and what you all do but there what about the mental health side of things right with doctors nurses, all of it um, we don't talk about mental health enough in general and to talk about that I mean that's a whole other side of the pandemic that we have to deal with um, absolutely that I don't know that we're doing a great job of I don't know what we're doing a great job of but um, <laughs> I have to ask you a couple of questions and I'm struggling because there is so much that I want to dig into still so I might need to have you back for a second episode <laughs> into it um, but obviously, I mean, this is a stupid question to ask you because obviously the answer is yes, you're a nurse, but I ask everybody this. So, and I guess we can think of it from your own personal life maybe, but as of today, August 21st, 2020, do you know anyone that's been diagnosed positive with COVID-19? See, it's a stupid question. My dad. Your dad. That's the hype thing. But not <laughs> so you, great. your dad. Are you serious? Yeah. My dad and his girlfriend, a Half of my unit, the nurses on my unit, got it and were out. Um, I know a lot, a lot of people that have had it. And have most of them, most of them recovered? Yes. Um, so, unfortunately, a good friend of mine who's in his 30s died from a COVID-19 infection at home suddenly. Um, that happened, I don't know, I guess I was early May at this point. Um, and he was such an incredible guy and, um, I miss him every day and I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, I mean it, it you know, and he was in his thirties. So I, I Did he have any pre-existing conditions. Yeah, I mean, he was a bigger guy. Um, he probably had some underlying stuff going on. Um, but I, I can't speak to necessarily. Yeah, yeah. His, anyway, yeah. doesn't change the fact that that sucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I know friends of mine who have lost family members to it. Um, thankfully, my dad is okay because I was not okay during that time when he was during on yeah only imagine yeah but yeah oh, no. oh I'm so glad he's okay okay yeah let's not let's stop going down that route um okay. <laughs> uh so it's also a question to ask everyone you know which is so weird because when I started asking these questions things were so different. And now I ask this question, I'm like, well, fuck, I think everybody's going to say the same answer, even though pretty much everyone said the answer this whole time. But, you know, at some point we're going to get out of this. So let's start there, Michelle. If you could predict the future, when are we getting out of this? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think... You know, I, I hope that people will take the vaccine. I know that many won't. I don't know when it will be available, but I think a problem is going to be getting people to actually take it. 
Um, I, I wish we had leadership that was different, that recognizes leadership period, leadership period, leadership period <laughs> in our White House, um, who doesn't lie to the general public for months about what we need to do to slow this down. For someone who's so obsessed with the economy and money, the smarter thing would have been to control this virus because that is the only way we'll be able to have people go back to work. Um, I just hope that we can change, you know, have some kind of like reckoning this fall or this winter and just have people realize, I mean, it sucks that it takes, it takes being hit hard in your state to really, and to know someone who's had it, it, it sucks that that's what it takes for you to change your behavior. That's but that, is that not the human condition? Unfortunately, that's exactly how that just we hit. operate. Think yeah. When people get sober, what do they say? You got to hit rock bottom. Why the fuck do we have to hit rock bottom to make a change? Like, what is that? But we're crazy. I know. We're like I know. enemies. It doesn't make any sense. But when you're in it, it makes a lot of sense. I'm going to keep saying why? Why? Uh, okay, I, I'm going to so. redirect you just for the purposes of time. Um, and there's, yeah. we know there's a lot we got to do and change. But uh, when? If you, th if you could just try. Like, when might we be maybe have the vaccine? I don't know. When are we getting, when are we getting out of this? Oh, man. I, I, probably this winter. I, but I, I have no idea. I'm not... I'm not doing the research. I'm not, okay. you know. Fair. We don't know. But you think maybe this winter we'll have a vaccine. Maybe then by 2021 early we'll be out of I don't know. Jesus. If yeah. That, if that's the case, praise be. I don't know if it will be, but let's see what happens. Um, now, when we do look back on this, let's say it's this winter when we have the vaccine. Who are we going to look at as the country? Because this is not an American we thing. This is a world global thing. Who are we looking at as the country that handled it the best? Who's the golden child? And who's the golden fuck up? Uh, we're the golden fuck up. I can, I can say that pretty easily. <laughs> I mean, I know that some Scandinavian countries are doing well, like Norway. And I know there was some kind of like experiment some places did to try to get herd immunity, but I, I, um, time will tell. I mean, today a country can be doing great. One province can be doing great. It's, it's just hard to think about it on both micro and macro levels because one community can end up spreading everything to a state and then to a region and then beyond. So I think it's a it's a marathon. I mean, there's no I don't I I don't want to praise anyone yet because it could change tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I think that we can agree on the fact though that we have royally messed up. Maybe Brazil yeah. is behind us, right close yeah. to us in that race. But you're right, and it changes. And it's funny because I was talking to a gal who's in Finland right now. She lives in Mexico, but she's in Finland visiting her family back home, and um, you know. 
she said, it feels pretty okay. Like I can actually go to the grocery store with my son and we walk around without masks. However, they were going to travel throughout Europe in September. Now, not so much because they don't know about borders and closing. I mean, you're right. Things are, it's like, okay, things got a little better for the summer, but it's still all there. Let's see what, so you're right. Okay. We don't know. Now, this is my favorite question to ask, and I always love to end on this note because it's a fucking heavy topic that we're talking about, especially in the world that you've been working on, Liam, which, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't think that's <laughs> um, You know, it's an unfortunate truth, and pure darkness is when light shines brightest. When I say good things have come out of this, unfortunately, it takes tragedy for human beings to like get to their highest and best self because we have to. Just like yeah. in the hospital unit, you had to figure it out. You just go into this other mode. And for that, a lot of good has come out of this and will yeah. continue to come out of this. So I would love to know from your perspective, and I know one of the best things about New York that I think is still happening in so many states followed was everyone clapping at 7 p.m. and doing the shout out, just that sense of pride and community. But what good have you seen come out of this from friends, family, community, the world, the environment, other countries? It could be anything, companies, technology. What good are you seeing come out of this? And what good do you think is going to come out of this? Oh, there's so much good that has come out of this. And I, that's the only thing that like, keeps me going. <laughs> um, I mean, just to start with my experience in the hospital, I mean, people are incredible the way they react and perform when it really matters. And the teamwork I saw helping people who you've never met before, just all in this together mentality was just so incredible to be a part of um, and something I had never experienced to that extent in my job. Um, people really, when it comes down to it, they want to do good. Most people are good inside and it's about how you respond to stressful situations. And I saw that just so, so beautifully play out in a lot of situations in the worst kind of for the worst reasons, but it, it was a great thing to witness. Um, as far as me personally too, I was so overwhelmed with how many people reached out to me and bought me food. And we didn't, I didn't go to the grocery store for maybe the whole time because of donations to the hospital. I mean, I didn't want, I wouldn't have gone to the grocery store because I thought I was gonna infect, I, I was like a walking bug, um, you know, but we didn't, we, we got so many donations. Um, people in New York City really pulled through, even though the clapping thing might seem like it was just some flimsy display of, you know, solidarity, it kept a lot of us going. <laughs> like. We, every day, the firemen, the nearby engines near the hospital I work at would blow their, turn their sirens on, everyone would shout and scream and clap all around the neighborhood. And that, you know, it's such a simple thing, really just gave us something to look forward to in a way every day. Um, you know, I... 
I am a major advocate for environmental justice, and I am happy about the decreased emissions during this whole thing. <laughs> and um, our environment kind of having a little time to reset. Of course, there's still fires in California, and I, I know tons of horrible famine and everything going on all around the world. I know it's it didn't fix anything, but um, I think it kind of showed us that showed a lot of people that if you kind of take take a pause and really like reevaluate what's important to you when you are forced to because of a terrible thing going on you a lot of people have shifted their priorities for their entire life because of this you know where they want to live and what they want to do on a daily basis whether their job is something that they find sustainable for happiness so you know, a lot of good comes out of really shitty situations. And I, I can be the first person to tell you that. Yeah. Amen, Queen. Amen. I mean, I think that's <laughs> like one of the coolest things of the environment. I mean, to see how fast things are recovering, yeah. that is really cool. And also how fast it can go right back to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The sense of community, I feel like that we got to feel in this country during this time. And that seven o'clock thing is one of, I mean, we live in a society where it's so every person for themselves and it shouldn't be like that. And during exactly. these times, people really came together and think of all of the love. I mean, they donate all of it. It's all about community. Even like meeting your neighbors for the first time. Like, why didn't you do that before? A hundred percent. And I do hope that it shifts our priorities yeah. and what we do moving forward. Because by the way, life wasn't so great in this country and it still isn't right now. We got a lot to work on and change, but it's happening. Um, so that's all I got for you, Michelle. I mean, I, please, I could ask you a thousand more questions, but is there anything else that you want to say on the record as of today, August 21st, 2020, about your experience living through the coronavirus that I didn't ask you or you didn't already say? We all just got to stay hopeful. Take this time, you know, to figure out what really matters. Um, and I'm glad that there's like a countrywide you know, worldwide reckoning happening right now about priorities and doing good for others. And I want to thank you too for sharing so many people's stories. It's very easy to kind of just uh, think about yourself and how bad you have it and, or how good you have it. And, you know, it's great to hear just different perspectives on, on everything. Um, so thank you for having me on here. <laughs> Oh, thank you. That warms my heart. I think that it's so important for us to all hear and listen to each other. Um, so thank you for being a part of it. Really, I cannot wait to share your story. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the One World Your Story podcast. If you enjoyed hearing this story and you wish to hear more, Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube. And of course, follow us on Instagram at One World Your Story. From all of us here at the One World Your Story podcast, we are sending you so much joy and love. Have a wonderful rest of your day.